Hello everyone and welcome to Inside the Arena podcast brought to you by Piers Arena. On Inside the Arena podcast, we talk about mental health, well-being and every other issues and challenges we all face in our day-to-day lives. And on each episode, we'll be having a guest on to talk about their own experience with these issues and most importantly, how they are able to navigate and overcome life struggles and challenges. I am your host, Tony, and thank you very much for listening. Welcome to another episode of the Inside the Arena podcast. Today, we'll be talking about something which is really, really important, which is therapy, but not just any therapy, but therapy for kids and children and the importance of it. I'll have my guests introduce themselves and tell us what they do and why we're having this conversation today and the benefits we can actually get from it. Okay, hello everyone. My name is Naja Atigarba Ahmed and I am a clinical psychologist. I studied in India and I also have vast experiences working with children, with adults and, you know, geriatrics. That's like older people. I currently work, work in a mental health consortium in Abuja and I've also, over five years, I've also provided psychosocial support to individuals, to families, to students and also to staff of employees. And looking at, you know, the program that we have in hand, we're going to specifically deal with children and I'm actually very particularly very excited about that because I think it's about time that we also you know lay our focus on the child because why would we have to wait for people to be adults or to grow enough and then we have to start you know um looking at their mental health so I believe this program is actually very you know um it's a very it's a very good start so that's just basically about and maybe little other little thing about me is I also love animals I like I love to take care of animals I also love to converse with people and get to see how they think and all that so that's just basically about me yeah wonderful wonderful um I I think you you have a a very great point by saying if we can actually fix situations and fix things early, why not do that instead of waiting for it to become something exactly. that's going to um, be way more, yeah, yeah, be way more stressful to deal with at the end of the day. So um, our second guest, um, Augustina, do you mind like introducing yourself? Hi, good morning. My name is Augustina Okuti. I'm the project lead at PSS Foundation. Um, what about me? Unfortunately, I don't have like a lot of experience having worked with um, kids or therapy in general. I feel like I just understand the situation around child therapy. I mean, growing up, um, I, I feel like I would have done, I would have made a good use of therapy while I was growing up. And I thought that a lot of kids would be able to take advantage of the opportunity. So we thought about the program Dear Therapy and, you know, we've been kicking off with it and we're hoping it's a successful one and people, you know, start to have this conversation around therapy for kids. Because as um, Nash said, it's funny that we don't think that you know, the mental health of kids are directly affected by all of the other things that we as adults are being affected by because reality speaking, they are kids and they are human being rather as well as we are. So, um, yeah, basically about me, I'm a project we are kids, foundation. I read mass communication 
Um, I have worked in the creation space for a while now, and right now I am working in the philanthropical scene, and I hope it's a successful ride. Thank you. Yeah, hope also hoping for the same thing. Do you mind telling us um, why you decided to take on this type of work yourself, being the project lead for, please, um, the project lead for what exactly? The name of the foundation? Oh, it's called KSH Foundation. There's no cute thing attached to it. It's just the name of the founder, Khalil Suleiman Halilu, and we just derived the name KSH Foundation. Um, However, this is a foundation that likes to leverage on technology for early development. We're very keen on early development, which is why all, most of our programs revolve around young people, because we understand that early development is key for national development as well as societal development. So we decided on the program therapy because, as I said, I am very big on therapy. I think it's a good way to you know, to resolve certain issues. I mean, when you feel comfortable with sharing problems, it's it's weird how people can meet random persons. And because they have this knowledge that I'm definitely not going to meet you again, you know, we're just sitting down in the car or in wherever, in, in the market or something, and, you know, the conversation pops up and you're just very, you start to divulge information that you don't think, you wouldn't think that you give you know, somebody that is possibly close to you because, you know, there's a case of judgment and all of that. So I feel like kids, and then when you stay around kids a lot, you, you'll be surprised as to the kind of things that they say when an adult is not listening. They're talking amongst themselves and they're really talking because they feel like it's just themselves and then there's no adult to sort of, you know, put in, oh, you shouldn't be saying that and stuff like that. So, you know, I feel like it would be important when they find someone who is separate from their family who can have this kind of conversation with them. So, yeah, I feel like that was the idea behind therapy. Yeah, thank you very, very much for explaining that. And I, I completely agree with most of the things you just said. Um, we need to normalize having uncomfortable conversations and making them very, very comfortable. And that's creating safe spaces for those conversations to be held. And therapy is one of the great, 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 many great ways we can actually do that. And especially for kids, um, it's very, very important we know what they are thinking. And because um, if we do know what, we are, what they are thinking, it's way much easier to help them at any stage and to meet them halfway. Um, Naj, being the professional here in our conversation today, um, I'd like you to tell us what are some of the importance of therapy for children? Okay, so therapy for children is actually very essential. Why? Because when we talk about the child, we're talking about development. That is the child, that is the time where everything is critical for the child, their mental development, their social development. You know, they are kind of trying to um, you know, understand what's happening around their environment. And that's the time where the brain also forms, right? So the little that they can be exposed to can either make the child or can actually break the child. Things like parenting, things like, you know, exposure to trauma, things like bullying in school. There are lots of children that may grow up and, you know, they might still, they may already have esteem issues. They may not be able to really just basically kind of like, 
even children can actually suffer from depression and anxiety. So it is very critical for us to ensure that the child is well physically, emotionally, socially, at least all the dimensions of the child's wellness. If we talk about child therapy, the child does not have to have a disorder. The child does not have to have depression, anxiety, ADHD, or any other child-related disorders for the child to actually be open for therapy. We don't have to wait for the you know, thing to happen before we say, okay, what do we do about it? If we ensure that we're able to expose the child to wellness, to how they're able to solve their own problems, to teach the child positive emotions versus negative emotions from the start. If you look at adults, many people will tell you that oh, I'm actually dealing with anger issues. They don't know where the anger issue is coming from. It could actually be from unresolved childhood, unresolved childhood trauma. So if at a very critical age, we're able to teach children little things like how to manage stress, you know, if you get angry, what do you do? Little things like that, it would really, really go a long way. So basically empowering the child, that is the word I would want to use, empowering the child from little so that they don't have to grow up and they don't, you know, know. There's a quote of um, a popular scholar called Sigmund Freud. He said, the child is the father of the man. What does it mean? This means that whoever someone is, whatever experiences that a child has from childhood, that is what the person grows up with even from adulthood and you know, even becoming a man. And when we do not resolve our unresolved childhood trauma, we grow up and we also you know, project it to other people, to our relationships, to our children as well. And we don't really want that. So it is very important to say that we kind of create a safe space for the child. And I'm very happy that, that this program is not just about talking therapy for children. It's also about talking therapy for parents and caregivers as well. Why? Because Parents and caregivers have to understand what mental health of child is, what parenting entails. We have four different styles of parenting. Which one is the most effective? Which one is the least effective? Because when we talk about the child, we also have to talk about the person who provides care for the child, right? We have to make the parents and the caregivers understand that whatever you say to a child can either make him or also break him. Things like comparing your children to other kids, how this can really, really tamper with their mental health. So I really like the fact that it doesn't just talk about the child, it also talks about, you know, providing a safe space and a safe environment for the child to actually grow and develop and also evolve as well. So basically, and child therapy is usually very effective because what, from the very critical time, you're already, you know, giving antidotes, you're already giving precautions and all that. So the child, he grows up you know, even as adults, people actually suffer from, apart from the low self-esteem, apart from anger issues, apart from lack of emotional regulation, apart from having lots of issues with, you know, connecting to people, people actually also suffer from identity crisis. They don't really know who they are. They don't know what they want to do. They don't even know their purpose in life. But if these things are tackled from childhood, if the environment is safe for the child with therapy, with ensuring that the child is well in all dimensions of wellness, it curbs a lot of issues. You don't have to think about your child, oh, my child has depression or my child has anxiety. And these things are actually quite common, even from childhood. Parents might not really know, for example, a child used to like to play outside with, with kids and all that, but now your child is just at home, just wants to play with his toys, reserved. What is actually happening to your child? So all these things are things that, you know, therapy kind of helps to identify and also helps to, you know, proffer solutions to these kinds of problems. Um, I'm very, very interested in the fact that you said, even if a child is not dealing with anything, 
that is showing at the moment is also very very important for them to have um therapy or like safe spaces i think we should really emphasize on that because people um would ask this question as parents for example let's make the case for them as a parent how do i actually know when my child really needs therapy and if they will if they might actually benefit from it how do i know that as a parent okay so um first of all i don't think first things first i don't think you may need a sign okay for example we can just go to the doctor once in six months to just check that oh our blood pressure is fine or this and that is fine so i believe that therapy you don't have to wait for any signs to say oh what do we do about it you could just enroll your child you can just enroll her to see a psychologist you know all these things are things that also boost their well-being as well but at the same time still to answer your questions we know that when we talk about early signs of you know child needs therapy different kinds of mental illnesses have different signs and they have early symptoms as well for example a child who has ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. The early signs can be that, oh, the child is inattentive, even, even in class. Whenever you give the child a task to do, the child will not be able to, you know, give attention. He's always hyperactive, sort of like, you know, um, sort, sort, sort of like aggressive sometimes and all that, or hostile sometimes. Or maybe if the child is actually having, say, signs of maybe, let's say, he, 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 he's actually getting bullied in school and he's sort of like getting traumatized from that or he's developing depression. Child may be withdrawn, child may be scared, child may be very anxious. Whenever you talk, the child would just stop communicating. Even if the child is very, talks very well, exposes him, expresses himself very well and is vocal, child stops doing that. You know, child is becoming very reserved. As I said, it doesn't have to be a disorder. It could even be sign of low confidence. And maybe the child is getting bullied in school or there's someone who is abusing the child and all that. The child will still look, you know, scared and all that. So it's just best to know your child. So if there's any slight changes. And at the same time, I think one thing you can also that can also help you to also note early signs is to actually have a very good relationship with his teachers in school. Whenever you go for all these open days, whenever you go for all these PTA meetings and all that, it's actually very good to sit and discuss with the with the primary teacher assigned in the class. How is my child doing? Did you notice anything with him? How about his studies? Because sometimes it could not really be a behavioral or a mood sort of change, right? It could also be something that has to do with academics. For example, we have a specific mental illness for children called specific learning disability. So the child may actually have some writing difficulties or some reading difficulty or some math difficulty and all that, but the, the teacher might say, oh, well, I don't really know. Maybe the child is just not performing well in class, but the child is bright, but he's having reading difficulty and writing difficulty, and it's very, very obvious that there's a problem there. So I believe even kind of having discussions with the teacher, because the children also spend a lot of time with the teachers, right? And the child may also exhibit some certain signs in class that you'll be able to, you know, also help you with your observation. So any slight changes that you know is not as normal to your child or you know that is not atypical, then you could note that as an early sign of something. But as I said earlier, we don't have to wait for all those early signs. You can always expose your child to therapy, even if your child is doing well. You want your child to become resilient. You want your child to ensure that, you know, his self-esteem is not being tampered with, Right. You know, he, he he's just as well as he should be. I specifically asked that question about what are some of the signs to look out for um, to know if your child may actually benefit from therapy. And I asked that question specifically because um, I'm not a parent, right? But 
I understand and I know and I have the sense that parents sometimes will feel like if I have to take my child to therapy, then maybe I have failed as a parent, right? You know, there's there's actually a place for that kind of thinking, right? So it's it's more so very, very important also to make that case to actually make um or or rather let me let me let me actually pose the question this way. Um as a parent, if I do decide to take my child to therapy, does that mean I've done a bad job? Okay. So I think this draws down to when Augustina said we need to normalize mental health. Mm-hmm. No, mental health is not something to be ashamed about. It does not mean that you have failed as a parent. It does not mean that your child is weak or your, or your child is crazy because that's the typical you know, belief that Nigerians, or let me say possibly Africans have about mental health. We need to normalize it. And I believe that if a parent takes a decision to take their child for therapy, that means the parent wants the best for their child, right? I have personally seen cases where, you know, um, maybe like the father would come to say, oh, my child needs therapy, but the mom said, no, no, her child would never come to see a psychologist and all that. That is what I feel, you know, a failed parent is when you do not want something that would benefit your child. That is when I, I can say that is something that you have failed. But I believe that coming in for therapy, it takes a lot of courage. It means that you want the best for your child. What is at the best interest of your child? It doesn't mean that your child is crazy. It just means that your child just needs support. And that is basically it. And I'm happy to say that basically almost all the mental health issues can be managed, right? It's not something that is not a death sentence. Mental health illnesses, mental health issues is not a death sentence. People actually get better. People can actually live their lives normally like anybody else. Your child can still, you know, literally, um, you know, um, pursue his dreams. He can actually still be who he wants to be just because he has a mental health issue. Possibly, depending on the severity, not all cases your child may even require medication. Some cases, some cases the child may require medication. But at the same time, I don't hear people saying that, oh, when my child has a specific physical ailment, I don't want to go to the hospital because I feel I have failed as a parent. So why should we ask the same question when it comes to mental health? This screams a lot about the stigma, right? We know that there's a lot of stigma and all that, but whenever we want to look at the society, we will not be able to do what is right. And I believe that having been high on mental health awareness is actually a plus for you. People may not really understand you. People may say things, but you it is you that knows what is the best for your child, what is also the best for yourself. When we talk to mental, when we talk about mental health issues, especially for the child, we don't want to delay. Whenever signs start to erupt, we don't want to delay it because we know that it, it can affect the prognosis. Prognosis means the chance of recovery or the percentage of recovery. So the moment you notice something, that's not the time for you to think about stigma or to think about, you know, the right thing to do is to hurry up and go and see a therapist. So go and see a psychologist, right? So people do get better. And with time, with your support, your support is also very important because I have personally seen cases where Parents would, you know, because one of one or two of their children are showing, um, children are showing signs of early mental health issues. They start to, you know, maybe it could be subconscious, but they kind of sort of like, you know, um, show that they love the other kids more, which is also very wrong because you're also that your behavior is also again triggering whatever symptoms. It's actually worsening whatever symptoms that your child is going through. 
right? So that's the time where your child needs your support the most. And one of the best things you can do for them at that point in time is provide them therapy. Because if you don't do that, that would do more harm than good, to be honest. So I hope I have answered the question. Yeah, you, you've answered the question. And um, I asked that question because, okay, let me, let me try and explain something that I really love to do, especially on this platform. First things first, I love to play devil's advocate. No matter how something seems, yeah, yeah, yeah. No matter how something seems very good and perfect, I like to poke at it. That's one. The number two thing is what happens when we are advocating for whatever issues we're advocating for. Mental health being very, very important. I think one of the mistakes we fundamentally made, um, I believe that I've seen, is pointing your fingers and wagging it at people like oh mental health is important oh i don't i think you should do this if your child is whatever like it's good but sometimes the message is not well received in that sense you can't you can't you can't just like um people because of the stigma the shame or whatever issues are stuck in that pre in that that mindset at the same time you can't shame them out of it Trying to shame them out of it is the wrong way to go about it. I think the best way to go about it is to educate. So sometimes when I ask certain questions, right, it might seem foreign to the experts, but it is a practical question in the minds of people, right? It's a very, very practical question. So looking at it from that point of view is, is like we make the mistake of not wanting to hear the other side's arguments because maybe the beta or because of maybe we know for a fact that this is the right way to help out in any situation okay let's let's look at it this way right um when people believe in something they fight for it and they hold on to it you can take religion for example right like when people fundamentally believe in whatever religion they fight for it sometimes they go as far as even putting themselves on the line just to make sure that they uphold yeah. that religion. I think it's the same thing whenever we're trying to make whatever issue very, very important that we know it is important. We should sort of like mm-hmm. make people understand this from the, from like, I don't know how to put this, make them believe in it. And yeah. the best way to do that is by educating yeah. them, right? And yes. not just um, sitting on whatever high horse or pointing whatever fingers and saying. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that's why that's why I tend to ask questions like that because I'm trying to be really, yeah. really practical. And 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 do, do you know just adding to what you said, you know, sometimes just like how you said, mental health may seem foreign to certain people and all that. So I remember there was a time I went to give a talk on mental health somewhere, and the moment I said, Okay, hi everyone, my name is introduce myself. Topic for today is mental health, and I could see people like oh, there were papers shared, and you could see people like you know pushing papers like I'm not involved and all that. And I didn't really know how to kind of like make everyone understand that everyone has a mental health. So I told them that, okay, listen, if you have a brain, can I see your hand up? And everybody is like, oh, of course I have a brain. Everyone, like many, everyone raised their hand. And I'm like, good. So I'm here to break it to you that if you have a brain, then you have a mental health. And if you have a mental health, then you need to take care of it. I'm not even talking. Mental health is entirely different from mental illness, right? Yes. When we do not take care of our mental health, that is what would, you know, lead to mental illnesses. 
right? But mental health is something just like your physical health. It is as important. It is nothing foreign. As long as you have a brain, you are involved, right? You're involved in talking about mental health. And when we talk about mental health awareness, you need to be aware of what mental health entails. You don't have to be a psychologist or a counselor or any other person to talk about mental health or to literally just know about your health. Come on, people just Google um, things about their physical health, right? They learn mm -hmm. about their physical health. People as well learn about what mental health is and how you can take care of it. I completely agree. Things. So, yeah. yeah. I completely agree. So, um, going back to the, to exactly. the, to the topic at hand, um, another question yeah. I believe some parents may, may have because um, I before I tend to have conversations, I reach out to people who I know who are around me and I know may benefit from that conversation and I ask them practical questions or I, or I tell them to ask me practical questions that they would like answers to. So one of the questions I also was able to put together just by having three different parents articulate themselves and articulate this on this particular topic is, okay, how do I actually talk to my child about therapy? This is a very interesting question. So we know if it's an adult, I can just say, hey, I, hey it's, it will be good if you see a psychologist or a therapist, right? But with children you know, the approach is actually very important. The way you would want to talk to your child and introduce him about therapy is actually very important. Let me give you a very small example. Child already knows about physical health, brush your teeth, bathe, very, bathe, bathe two times a day, wear good clothes and all that, right? They pretty much know a lot about physical health. And I'm sure in class, the way the teacher introduced physical health was at a level where the child could actually understand physical health, right? So you don't really have to say, oh, you're going for therapy because I think there's something wrong with you or you need to see someone. No, 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 no. That is obviously already, you know, scary for the child, right? You could just say to the child, hey, um, I this is someone, this is also like um, a doctor or this is just someone that you can talk to whenever you're actually dealing with certain things. You know, this person would help you. You know, we also have a brain and also our brain, just like our bodies. You need to take care of our brain and all that. You know, you, there's a lot of ways that you can actually introduce mental health to your child. You also have to look at the age of the child. Is the child like four or five years old? Is he like 10? Is he like 15 and all that? But regardless of the age, as long as the child is a child, you do not, you make sure that you do not say words that would make the child feel like there's something wrong with him. For example, hey, you're going to see a therapist because, you know, you have a mental illness or something like that. These kind of things are things that, because the child is, is still do we not really understand what that means so saying if the child is say um you know very young you can just say things like okay so you know just like how you take care of your bodies they're also you know also our brain sometimes it is also important to take care of our brain because our brain is also a very important you know um, organ in our body we can also take care of how we feel and how we act and how we react to certain situations right so this is someone here that you can talk to if there's anything that's bothering you that you want to talk about, you can talk to this person. This person is qualified to listen to you. I know that there, for example, I know that there are times where you wake up and you don't feel like talking to anybody, right? This person is someone that you can talk to that is qualified to, you know, help you in this aspect. If you even want to talk about mental health to your child, so you just tell them that, okay, you know, sometimes exercise is also good. It also affects how we feel and how we behave, just like how we eat to, you know, to help us nourish our bodies. There are also foods that's also good for our brain. You know, there are many ways that you can actually 
just break it down to the smallest level without having to tell them that there's something wrong with you, right? Yes. You have to also make them feel excited that there is help and someone will be able to help them as well. You know, you have to normalize it to the best of your ability and don't use stigmatizing statements. Yeah, thank you very much. I'm sure there's a lot of yeah practical um, examples that people can actually pick from and use that. Yeah, we're just trying to um, bring people in so that they can actually understand how to better this situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that um, I found out when I was doing a little bit of research um, before coming on here to have this conversation with you was there are actually different types of therapy for children. And I was very, very, I was very, mm-hmm. very surprised when I discovered that. And I was like, okay, I was going to talk to you about it. But more so importantly, yeah. can you actually tell us some of the types of therapy for children? Okay. So when it comes to therapy, right, before we even talk about types of therapy for children, usually whenever we have children, there's, you know, a an issue at hand. There's usually an assessment that we do. And there are also different types of assessment that we do right mental health assessment and all that to see what the child is presenting so depending on what the child is presenting that would now lead to types of therapy that you know you can actually enroll the child for for children we have what we call the occupational therapy for children we have what we call the projective kind of therapy for children for example using things like paint so at least they can they'll be able to express there's also a related kind of cognitive behavioral therapy for children at that their level so depending on what the child is presenting there are different types of therapy that you can actually use to kind of like and different types of approaches that you can actually use to support the mental health of the child depending on what the child is presenting there are behavioral related kind of approaches there's a cognitive based kind of an approach there's also kind of you know therapy that is just for the child to decompress and all that so depending on what the child is presenting that'll be determined by what you know kind of therapy that the child will be enrolled in yeah um and i asked that question because um initially um when i heard child therapy right i was just thinking maybe it was the normal behavioral um, or cognitive type of therapy but there's also art therapy oh there's also play therapy and it's not like oh i'm like oh interesting so there are various approach (laughs) and forms of uh, forms of Mm -hmm, treatment mm -hmm. it's not like of course and there's also family therapy whereby it's not like something yeah, family therapy yes and there's very also, important yeah there's also family therapy where everybody attends and that's also a way to yes. make, to normalize yes. um the conversation with the children mm-hmm. and make them actually mm-hmm. understand exactly uh, what's going on as regards that exactly exactly and you know the the good thing about you know working with children is it is not as intensive the child may not even know that you're trying to do something with him for him, it could be just playing around with colors or just telling you about something or just having a conversation, you know, because we include a lot of play, a lot of, they might not really even understand what is actually going on that it is something therapeutic for them. And I think that's the best part of it, unlike with adults, right? And when you just spoke about family therapy, there's also an aspect of psychoeducation. For example, a child is presenting um, you know, signs of depression because there's a lot of domestic violence, there's a lot of fights happening at home between mama and papa. And that alone would, you know, invariably affect the mental health of the child. The parents might not really know that it is because of the constant fights that is actually affecting the child that way. So there's also an integral aspect of psychoeducation in, in you know, during family therapy to make the parents understand 
what you know how this is also affecting this child there's a lot of things like also divorce there are times where even if parents are divorced but when it comes to therapy parents have to attend that family session together because we know that you know the parental figure is actually also very important depending on what the case may be i completely agree with that yeah i was i was very surprised when i actually discovered there were various um, means an approach to child therapy i think that's very very important for people to also know so they don't just um stereotype um, child therapy to exactly. to what they think um, all therapy is it or something is, like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you, you you said something um, just now about maybe a child being depressed because of um, the parents um, actually fighting in the house or because of a divorce or because of things that are happening around um, the child's life. It's surprising to me that there's this normalized um, saying that we say um, here in Nigeria. I don't want to say Africa as a whole because I don't know, but I know for a fact in Nigeria, um, if a young person is kind of worried or showing signs of depression or exhibiting any, um, how would I put this, social um, withdrawal, right? There's always this thing Mm. that we say is like, oh, what are you thinking about? You're just a child. Like, what are you thinking Mm. about or something? Mm. Like, there's almost this thing about like, a child cannot be depressed because mm-hmm. you're not an adult and you don't have to deal mm-hmm. with um, the fearful mm-hmm. ills of the world mm-hmm. and the other things mm-hmm. like that. Let me just, let me ask this, what appears to be like a dumb question because I really want you to expand on it. Um, okay. Is it possible for children to be depressed? Can a child be depressed? Okay. <laughs> let me break it to you, right? Mm-hmm. A child can have depression, anxiety, um, schizophrenia, any kind of disorder that you know an adult has that is that, you know, the onset can actually start to appear during childhood. A child can have it. Okay. And what people need to understand is that when we talk about having depression, anxiety, and all these related mental illnesses, it means that the brain is involved. It's not about, oh, he's just sad or he's just worried or no. It's not about that. It is. It means that if you actually go for MRIs, if you actually go for brain scans, you would realize that there are certain changes, major changes that has happened in the brain, either from the secretion of chemicals in the brain or from specifically certain parts of the brain being affected. That is what it means to have a mental health issue. In our brain, we have different chemicals. We have chemicals responsible for mood, chemical responsible for motivation, chemical responsible for literally almost everything that you know that the person can feel. That chemical in your brain, over it, either, either it over-secretes or it under-secretes, it directly affects a person's mental health. And depending on what exactly, what part of the brain is affected or what chemical, you know, kind of, um is um has secretion concerns and all that that will determine what the person would do either the person would have bipolar or the person would be ocd or the person would have schizophrenia even children can hear voices right even children can have hallucinations even children can can see can hear voices that are not actually there and it is all about the chemicals in the brain you know <laughs> tweaking let me just say that Right. And it has nothing to do with either, oh, he's just worried or he's just sad. So when you talk about depression, all this, it's not just it's just beyond being sad. It is something that, you know, needs intervention. 
And that was where sometimes medications may come in, but there are times where medications may not come in. And I believe, let me also use this time to explain how therapy would also help because I said it's a brain thing, right? So you may wonder, how can therapy help if I say it's a brain and there are chemicals? There's also something we call neuroplasticity. The cells in the brain have the ability to generate and regenerate, right? So with the little things that we do, with correcting the way we think sometimes, with doing certain things like actions, like behavior-wise, that we can actually carry out, obviously indirectly affects those cells and chemicals in the brain. For example, when we come for therapy, we hear therapists ask, people things like so tell me 10 things you're grateful for you know trying to talk to them about how forgiveness is good and how to be altruistic and all these things so what they do is they boost your serotonin they boost your happiness hormones the person may not really feel over the counter kind of happiness but it kind of builds contentment over time and that is exactly what therapy would entail and that's why it's not a one-time thing therapy is something that you do over you know, over say five, six, seven, eight, ten sessions, depending on what the need may be. And then by the time you know it, slowly and slowly, the chemicals are becoming balanced, the cells are regenerating, and the person is feeling, you know, is recovering again. The person is learning a lot of skills. And even in therapy, I, I think I didn't say this. Even if you don't have any of this, um, any of the mental disorders, right? You would learn a lot of life skill, even as a child. If if my friend does something to me that I'm very, very angry about, what do I do about it? How will I be able to forget? How will I be able to get over things? How will I be able to manage stress? Even children get stressed too. Even if they don't really go to jobs and all that, they also get overwhelmed. They also get worried about certain things that maybe we may not really understand. But teaching them little things like relaxation, stress management, life skills and all that, resilience, building their self-esteem, building their self-image, positive, negative emotions, all these things are things that, you know, you're already preventing the disruption of those chemicals in the future. Yeah. I asked the question about, can a child be depressed? Um, yes. obvious, obviously, um, I know the answer to that, which is yes. But the yes. reason why I asked that question and why I stated like, um, when, when people see a child withdrawing from social activities or being in a sad mood or showing signs yes. of thinking or depression yeah. or depression rather people are always yes. like people are always like oh you're a child what are you thinking about do you have a wife or do you have kids you are thinking about and things like that and one of the things i realized myself one of the things that actually hit me in the face um when i was growing up and understanding what mental health is understanding myself and also understanding my environment was yes some of the some of the issues and some of the things we face um growing up um yes where maybe some kind of mental health um struggles and it yes. was just it was just trivialized mm -hmm. like like for example um when somebody is is said to be thinking too much right yeah they are mm -hmm. sad or things like that everybody always mm -hmm. says like like why are you sad but but maybe mm -hmm. that person is actually going through an episode of depression right yes. you, see, you see somebody that is always scared right the mm -hmm. person like anything that go, anything that happens the person is always triggered is always scared yeah and, and we're always like are you too the fear why fear fear why are you the fear yeah. too much but maybe, mm -hmm. that, maybe that person is actually experiencing an episode of anxiety exactly, right yes. so, I, so exactly. I, I i really started to understand that some of these things that um mm -hmm. we give names to and some of these things we're actually trivializing and stereotyping yeah. we're actually 
Yeah, we're actually um, symptoms or should I say signs of some kind of mental health struggles. And because our parents um, were not educated enough to like understand these things. Mm -hmm. So like they are only just projecting to us what was originally projected to them. Exactly. And that's why I ask a question like, Mm-hmm. Can a child be depressed, right? Yes, in in yes. in in to to kind of ask the question in in what in in what we've been used to, it'd be like, why does a child think too much, right? Or like, yeah. or why why is this child just always sad or things like that? So I just really wanted to say that, and I I also wanted to piggyback on something you said earlier on and ask yeah. the question of it because yeah. you talked about um why therapy doesn't have to just be a one time thing. And sometimes yeah. it can be um, up to 10 different sessions or nine different exactly. sessions or so. Yes. So, yeah. So, as a parent, right, who's even mm-hmm. considering even Ooh. taking their child to therapy because they know their child may benefit from it. Another, yes. qu- another question that will be right there as soon as you're thinking of making that decision is, and it's quite normal, is like, oh, how long do I have to do this for? right how how long do i have to take this child to therapy right what's the time duration and the rest of it so and i know every case is different right i ask this question with with fully understanding that every case is different but at the same time how long would a child be in therapy like what's like the, being a professional be working with kids and stuff like yeah. how long like would you say is a general estimate of when improvements can be can start to be seen okay. uh, or like if it or if or like, or like if a parent has the simple question or the very very mm-hmm. complicated question rather not a yeah. simple question of like okay i'm willing to take mm-hmm. my child to therapy but how long mm-hmm. do i have to actually do this what would you okay. say to that parent so as i mentioned earlier on as you've also said there is no you know, standard number of therapy for like a general thing. Everything is tailored towards the needs of the child, the mental health needs of the child. For example, if I'm seeing a case of depression, a child showing case of depression, it's not just about, oh, if it's depression, then it has to be six sessions or it has to be five sessions. You know, I also have to see the underlying causes. I also have to see, apart from depression, what else? Do you understand? So there's no standard or it's about it should be 10 sessions, it should be 6 sessions. Everything is tailored towards the needs of the child. And let me also say this, that as I mentioned, the stage is so usually before the main therapy, after like the child is brought in, usually there's like some form of assessment to understand exactly what the child needs. And before you start therapy, there's something we call goals of therapy. So you and the parent or if the child is, you know, kind of sort of like old enough, you have to make goals of the therapy. You have to break it into short-term goals and long-term goals. So depending on the need of the child and depending on the goals, that will determine how many sessions you have. But at least if there's a presenting case, if there's a presenting issue at hand, the minimum you should have for therapy at least is six sessions. For example, I'm telling you the six sessions for one of the therapeutic approach that we usually use, which is cognitive and behavioral therapy. But even as at that six session or eight session or 10 session, that is not all. There still has to be like some follow-up that would be done, like some aftercare services that should be done. So even when therapy is done, you know, maybe possibly maybe once a month, you know, the child will still have to check in with the psychologist. If any medication was given, okay, the psychologist will ensure that, okay, so how far, is there any side effects? How is the child doing? Is there anything that you've observed and all that? Is there any other issue? 
And all these things need to be considered. And why is even follow-up important is because we know that when it comes to mental health issues, there's something we call relapse, right? Relapse means um, after seeking treatment, sometimes the child may still again, you know, um, you know, um, again, um, fall back into any of the mental health, just like how a person treating diabetes would possibly have his sugar level normal, he eat normal, he eat well, take medications. But at some point, maybe there's time when sugar level will either come up or come down, possibly due to a trigger. So as at that, you can also prevent relapse by ensuring that follow-up is necessary, possibly once a month and all that. So there's no specific number. Depends on the goals, depends on the needs of the child, depends on the mental health you know, um, results that you've seen, that you've conducted. Well, at least minimum, at least is six sessions. But maybe when you're dealing with something like, say, like, for example, the program that we're going to host and all that, it is about general wellness and well-being, right? It's a free program about general wellness and well-being, and that would also go a long way. But at the same time, if you're dealing with, if your child has something more, you know, more, a little bit intense, the child may need a more intensive therapy and not a one-off thing. But even as at this one, one day therapy um, that we're going to do would also go a long way because what we're going to ensure that we leave your child with something we also leave you with something at least something to ponder upon we're going to leave you with self-help even you as the parent you need to ensure that you're in the very good mental state of mind for you to be able to take care of your kid right and that one day program that we're going to do we're going to ensure that at least we're going to give some form of like psychological first aid to the child and to also you as well. But that may not just be enough, okay? If there's something more intense, then that may just not be enough. I hope okay. I've answered the question. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. You've answered the question okay. very well. So if 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 I'm to summarize what you just said is um, yeah. at, at least six six sessions, but yes. more so importantly is to see how that child reacts and yes and the improvements that you see that exactly. that's, that's going to be like the main mm -hmm. determinant factor of yes. how long they should yes. be in therapy exactly so yeah fair exactly. enough so um a parent will also ask this question is like okay, okay am i going to be involved in this process or or how involved am i going to be in this process <laughs> it's very important for the parents especially if the child is a minor right mm -hmm. the parents have to be involved because they are the caregivers and all that if there's any change you know they would also have to be involved in fact there's a lot of going to be there's going to be a lot of psychoeducation you know um with the child but at the same time we also have to respect sometimes also have to respect privacy of child sometimes and all that sometimes there are times where children will tell us um can i speak to you just alone please you know when my mother is not there why because it is the mother that's the problem or if it's possibly because the dad did something that you know they became very upset about that or that's affecting them severely but at the same time the parents have to be actively involved at least in certain decision making you know what would best suit the child and all that yeah but if the child is anything say above 18 we have to talk about confidentiality confidentiality is um, something ethical that is you know like an ethical core in the profession that whatever the client reveals will not be subjected to a third party but only if the child is 18 above and all that so there are times where the parents would want to hey what is 
what what is my child going through what is actually happening all that but if the child who is above 18 does not give us the permission does not give us the authorization for us to discuss with the parents we may not be able to but we can just give them like you know things that can we can just give them tips that you know they can support their child better but if the child is a minor even to take carry an out an assessment with the child the parent has to be involved everything has to be fully explained in detail to the child and as as you said earlier family therapy as well is very necessary you know all these things are things that would support them and you know funny enough right there are times where child would come for therapy but parents would also end up in therapy Mm-hmm. right because possibly sometimes yes because possibly sometimes parenting style is what is affecting the child and as well the parents also have to learn a lot there are times where stress they also have a lot that they're dealing with in their personal lives right they want to ensure that they're excelling in their career there's a lot of expectation from society or from work or you know so many things and even as a result of that parents can also suffer stress and burnout when they suffer stress and burnout it definitely affects you know their ability to to be warm or to be responsive in the healthy way towards their child. So they also have to heal. They also have to learn a lot. So usually whenever there's child comes for therapy, we also are very keen about checking the mental health of the parents as well. Yeah, um, I totally agree. I think I read some I, I read something somewhere once that actually said um minors, right, children, um, they they use the they, they actually use the the emotions of their parents to regulate their own emotion and i was like oh wow so if you're you're bringing up a child in a very stressful environment um, that also may be is or sometimes may be the fundamental reason why that child is struggling so i i I totally agree and would even urge people that maybe are thinking maybe the child is the problem so also exactly. reevaluate themselves mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also reevaluate the environments that they are bringing up that child exactly and i'll give uh, you a typical example there was a child that i worked with right and the child you know he was he was actually he actually cut his wrist self-harm so sometimes it may not have to be depression or anxiety or the mental health, but it could also be, you know, children are, are also, you know, they also want to be heard. They also want to be seen and all that. And when they don't really get their environment, they, became, they become very overwhelmed that they don't have anyone to talk to. And sometimes, you know, when it comes to mental health, the burden, the pain can be so severe that, you know, it can be so heavy for you to carry that. People that actually do self-harm, they say that if they feel they should just feel the pain on their bodies and maybe it would alleviate, maybe it would alleviate the pain that they feel that they carry in their minds. And at the end of the day, we realized that it was, the child was actually, you know, um, self-harming because the mother was kind of emotionally abusing the child, called the child a failure, stupid, whatever the child does, it is wrong. But to her, it's like, what? You cut your hand, you mean just because I called you stupid the other day or just because I said X, Y, Z to you, you know, she calls him names and all these things. So at the end of the day, we also have to, had to sit and psychoeducate the parent properly on how the child's mental health is important and how communicating with your child in the healthy way is important and how correcting them the healthy way is important and how to even do it actually, right? How to actually, and she also had to come for sessions. At the end of the day, we had to also find a way to kind of, you know, um, balance the relationship between the child and the mom as well. Yeah, and why I also want to um agree, or maybe maybe I'll say this just to add to what you said, is like um 
there's always this question, right? Is the, the question is and that puzzles a lot of people, right? People have a hard time wrapping their head around this thing. It's like there are three different kids or two different kids raised in a single home, right? And one child is completely different from 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 the other or one child has certain issues yeah. that they are struggling with and the other child doesn't or may seem perfect to the eyes of other people and people are always asking the asking this question like oh i don't think it's the parents fault it's the child's fault because um like look how they raised these two children the same way they give them everything like the same parents and everything but something I also realized, and I got this from, I think, um, Gabo, or what's his name? He's an, he's a, he's, a, he's an expert, right? He's particularly in, um, interested in trauma or something. I can't really remember his name right now. He's like, no child is actually, no two child is actually raised in the same house. It's impossible. Because take, for example, the first child may come at a time where the parents really wanted to have a child and it was their first child. So the amount of love and attention and where they were individually, like their, their, their mental states, what they, maybe they were dealing with work or whatever case, is oftentimes completely different when they would have a second child or when they would have their third child or their fourth child. So no child is actually raised in the same house. And that was very profound for me to actually realize. It's like, oh, wow. So yeah, so like the circumstances that may surround... Exactly. The circumstances exactly. that may surround raising child A is completely different from the one that, sur- that, that, that may surround raising child B. So I think that's very, very important for parents exactly. to also realize. Like, yes. Because and, oftentimes... And even adding to what you said, right? Like very, very, very valid adding to what you said, apart from being circumstances, you know, environmental circumstances that happened when the child was born, there's someone called Alfred Adler, you know, I think he was um, a social psychologist or so. He spoke about birth order has a lot to do in shaping the personality of a child. For example, first child may have a totally different personality from the middle child. Middle child may have a different personality from the child who is the last born. Right. Usually you say that, you know, we usually first children, you know, pers- you know, usually they may be very independent. They may be hardworking. They may be this and that. But the last one is, you know, birth order. It also affects the personality of the child as well. You know, and even adding to birth order and the environmental factors, there's something we call risk factors. Adding to what you said. So, for example, why is it that two people go through the same thing, but one person only is affected? Why? Why is that? Is your child, it's not about one child being emotionally stronger than the other child. It is actually what we call risk factor coming in play. For example, let me give you an example. Um, say um, a child whose both parents possibly have diabetes, if the child does not also watch it, the child may also develop diabetes, right? That is, we can say that the child is at risk of developing diabetes because it could possibly be in the genes, right? Mm-hmm. Same thing for mental health as well. So there's certain things we call risk factors. For example, exposure to traumatic experience from childhood would kind of, you know, also have a role to play in who develops a mental health issue faster than the other person. Parenting, birth order, exposure. Even, you know, sometimes even if one of the parents, you know, possibly have traits, it could also be a risk factor for the child as well. 
So that is why it is always good to be sensitive, just like how you said the other time. Not always good to tell the person. Is it not just because, you know, just because, um, you know, um, someone went through X, Y, is that all? Look at me. Look at this person. He's doing well. But why do you have to be affected by it? Don't be weak-minded. No, let's not be sensitive because we have different, you know, backgrounds growing up. We have different experiences growing up. We have our risk factors are not the same. So that's why people are very different. Yeah, I totally agree. And what pe- what some people don't actually know is some brains are actually prone to addiction more than some other brains. And I say this very because... Very correct. Very correct. Yeah. And I say this because um, I've seen families. I've been absolutely close to a family whereby there are five kids and the third child like the middle child um is what is considered uh, the black sheep which is which is a very stereotypical term like when they say this child is the black sheep of the family Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's like okay he has issues with addiction drugs Mm -hmm. and alcohol Mm -hmm. and the rest Mm -hmm. of it and everybody else seems seems i would i would say that everybody else seems perfect and there's always this thing about um isolating him um mm-hmm. the continuous mm-hmm. abandonment and the rest of mm-hmm. it and i'm not going yeah. to I'm, and they've also tried i'm not going to say like they mm-hmm. completely like but it's almost like they've given up they've gotten to the point they've whereby given they've given mm-hmm. up and the rest of it so it's and and when i hear them talk about it it's almost like like is it not the same house we grew up in like everybody's here we are all having our own issues we know how to deal mm-hmm. with it must it be you that will be xyz and the rest of mm-hmm. it like you don't even have an excuse like mm-hmm. this and that like so it's like and I'm always trying to say, like, you and this person, you're you're absolutely different. Like, it's not. I'm not defending exactly. his actions, but I'm also exactly. trying to make you understand that you have to fundamentally think of the problem. Like, what actually exactly. led to this? Like, it's not. It's not just looking at maybe um, the symptoms, but maybe trying to find out what's the underlying condition or why this Very thing correct. happened. So mm-hmm. yeah. That's just something I... Very correct, to be honest. And one thing caught my attention, we don't give up on family, to be honest. We don't. We, we, and we, we know when it comes to addiction and all that, you have to do your best to roll with the resistance. You know, it could be difficult for the family. It could be, you know, of course, it will not be easy for them as well. But know that these things can be managed, right? Once they have the necessary support, you know, psychological support and also family support is very essential. If I say family support, I don't mean you should kind of keep on, um, you know, um, um, you should kind of keep on, um, what do you call it? In, in what do you en- call it? English encouraging. Keep on supporting the behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, when I say family support, I mean, you know, don't see this person as a failure. Don't tell him things that would further, you know, make him deteriorate mm-hmm. and all that. Because most people that come in for therapy yes you know we teach them how to deal with triggers how to do all these certain things but the funny thing is that their family are their triggers they go back home to their triggers the family already sees them as a failure they sees them as people that are not even part of the family at all and that is already a trigger for them and you know the funny thing is even people that can be 15 years old 14 years old can actually start substance you know and mm-hmm. all that you know so there are many things that you need to look at so what is actually why is this child going into substance if you ask people why people why children go into substance many people will tell you oh it's peer pressure i agree peer pressure makes children go into substance 
But at the same time, that was not the most common, you know, um, response that I got working with children that started substance. Yes, some of them, peer, peer pressure was their lack of parental guidance was there because parents were not there to kind of, you know, talk to the child and help them in making decisions. So they, that way, the children kind of, you know, kind of um, found solace and all that in their friends. One of the major things that I also realized, you know, that most children of now they start doing drugs is usually to do with some sort of pain or some sort of stress that they are facing. It could be stress from school. To be, to, if you're surprised, it could be stress from school. It could actually be possibly maybe they liked someone really so much and the person left them. You know, all these kids and relationships as well. And they didn't really know how to react and they just started doing drugs such as to do with pain. Because as children... They don't really have anyone to tell them how they can manage their emotions well or how to deal with grief. You know, parents didn't really teach them that. So someone recently to substance and they just started taking it just to deal with that sort of issue that they are facing. Children may not also have responsibilities, right? But they also have their own little things that doesn't that takes away their sleep. It could be very minor to us, but for them it is big. So if parents are not there to properly guide to become friends to their child, you know, and all that. A lot of things would go wrong. Yeah, there are so many leading causes to child depression, and I would encourage yes. parents to actually yes. do a little bit of research to that. Yeah. There's, child, there's body dysmorphia. There's there's a ton of things, a lot that, of things. that we can't yes. even get into today. And um, talking about what you talked about addiction, just to um, I know yes. this, this is not really what we're discussing, but just to add a little mm -hmm. bit of context to it is like um, I was also shocked, like. So there's, there was this documentary I saw, right, where they were talking to addicts or people who have actually overcame um, addiction. And it's very, very surprising. There's always this question about what was it like the first time you went, you took a substance or you took drugs or something. Sometimes people say very profound things like um, that was the first time I ever felt loved or I could love myself. Like, so there's there's often aband ab abandonment issues that people don't want to talk about like sometimes we just blame people who are victims of addictions but we don't try to understand what actually got them there and i can totally agree with um some of the things you just said so um exactly i would like to bring augustina into this conversation right now because um she actually talked about um growing up now that she understands what therapy is and the use and the benefits that she actually felt like um she may have been able to use some of the benefits of therapy and if she was introduced to therapy as a child it may have done her a lot of good so um augustina i would like you to to talk from that perspective what you what the benefits you think you may have gotten from it if you were introduced to it at from an early age okay i think i will just use a um a friend's um story to shed light on why I feel like um, therapy would have been very important. So he, as a, as a growing child, he was very, he had too much energy. <laughs> that was the way we described him. He had so much energy and then he was never focused in class. Not necessarily, not necessarily because of lack of trying. I mean, you would literally see him sitting down and trying to listen to whatever the teacher was saying, but it just felt like a difficult thing. And in no minutes, he's out and you know what, he's just throwing tantrums in class. And fast forward to when he got into school, university, uh, an uncle had 
told his parents that he should be taken to visit a therapist to kind of find out what the problem was. And they found out that he had ADHD. And it started to make sense for him because for the longest time, he felt like, you know, he was just unserious. He just couldn't muster enough energy or attention to, like, pay attention. And after the diagnosis and then the treatments and everything, he started to realize, he started to connect the dots as to behavioral patterns, tying it to, you know, the situation. And it was such large difference between himself in university and himself in secondary school. You know, it was the the difference was so much. He graduated so well, and you could see the kind of improvement that he had because he started to seek professional help. So I think we we have this kind of stories everywhere around us. It it might not be this specific to this situation as it is uh this situation. I mean, academically speaking, right? It could be it could be physically tied. I mean, even with the academic um with this academic situation, right? He started to filter into his uh, emotional well-being. He started to feel like he was not enough. He started to have you know, strong, um, um, low self-esteem. And for a while, you know, he started to ride on substances. So, you know, when you, when you think about this, you realize that if we start to treat therapy like we would treat our physical well-being, I mean, it's like taking this deworming drugs. You don't take it all the time. You just take it three, like every three months, which means like four times in an entire year. And when you miss it, I don't know if you've ever seen a situation where you go to the hospital and doctor specifically says it's because you haven't dewormed yourself for the longest time. So the parasite that this drug is helping kill has started to you know, take a large hold on your body system and it's causing this amount of trouble. So we need to start seeing therapy like, you know, you know, physical well-being, like going for checkup, just checking to see if we're feeling great, having it going to see a therapist, talking about our problems. And if we feel that we need to continue the session in that particular period where we went to stop for this help, then we might carry on. So I think that, you know, this particular story is everywhere. If we just pay attention, we will hear it in um, our friends' lives, our family, you know, relations and all of that. So the benefit of therapy is very largely, very largely encompasses just the mental state. You know, it connects the dots between our emotional state and our physical well-being. You know, and Naj mentioned self-harm. These are the various ways that, you know, we can help ourselves if we pay attention to our mental health. And then it's very important that we separate mental health and mental issues. Because, you know, the story Naj said about when she said mental health, everybody was looking away like, okay, this was not related to me. I'm perfectly fine. We need to understand that the attachment that is there helps, changes it entirely. It is your well-being. It is wellness in itself. And it is important that you start to take note of everything that relates to it. So yeah, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, that 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 definitely yeah. answers answers the question. It's it's always good um to hear um from people and to hear stories because stories are uh are one way inf- important information would can be passed along to to the general public and to people. Mm-hmm. And that's why I truly, truly love to listen to stories of people and to see 
um, what the, the, the lessons that can be drawn from it and how that can help maybe mitigate some of the unnecessary suffering that people may have to experience um, um, by themselves if they don't have access to um, the downsides of certain things that are going on in their lives or maybe they are doing and what maybe what they should be doing differently because nothing is almost new under the sun a lot of people have actually walked this the same path you're actually working right now and if you can learn from them mm-hmm. maybe you don't have to go through that alone maybe you don't have to suffer through some unnecessary um, things if you can just understand that mm-hmm. yeah it's very very important yeah um so i think rounding up um i would like to ask um Naj, um a question and, and the question is like um um, are there resources that parents can actually consult in the meantime while they're actually thinking about therapy or for parents who, are, who can actually afford therapy, right? Are there maybe some useful um, clinical materials that or resources that parents can actually consult in the meantime? Yes, yes, of course. So I can't really bring anyone over the top of my head right now. But if they surf the internet, there are a lot of articles, you know, either on themselves how they can improve their mental health as well so they can be better parents for their children there's a lot of materials and articles on parenting even learning more about child's health per se and how to support their child and all these things there and even how to you know um how to um elevate their child's esteem there are a lot of ready-made articles that are out there that they can actually go and read and even do you know that even in therapy usually one of the you know, usually um, your psychologist might, might also provide some resource materials for the child and also for the parents as well to go through and to read and also to do some certain kind of activities at least before the next session just to kind of, you know, um, practice what you are learning in therapy. So, of course, there's a lot of articles out there that they can surf on the internet to read about. But just make sure that it is from someone that's written from someone that comes from a standpoint of psychology or counselor, mental health, you know, professionals per se. Because right now, you know, you can find almost everything on the internet, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so ensure that it's from a very reliable source. Okay, Mm -hmm. Um, fair enough. And um, Naj, I would also like to ask this question. What advice um, do you have for parents or families who actually have children that are struggling or going through issues? Um, um, what advice would you have for families, basically, that have kids who are struggling with some of these challenges we've talked about here today? Okay, so actually, they, they really need you the most right now. And it is the way that you support them that is actually what would really help them. because what um you know i remember when i actually started my own mental health campaign what what really made me to prompted me to actually start my mental health campaign is one day we were doing our internship and i raised my hand to ask my my supervisor what was the longest time that they kept someone in their facility and he said 10 years and i was very shocked and i asked him what was the classical case because in my years of practice we will not have to keep someone in a, in for an inpatient for 10 years and he looked me in the eye and he said stigma the parents the family you don't want him anymore because they're from highly reputed family and they feel that there's no place for mental health issues in their family and the person had to be there for over 10 years and i and really it prompted me to really talk more about mental health and mental health awareness because just imagine the height of that so i'm just trying to say that the family family the person needs you the most, you know, 
the person would feel more loved, more cared for, more heard, and that would really affect their healing and their recovery. Check almost every, read about almost every mental health issue. You'd come, it would surprise you to see that support a person gets, especially from family, it helps with prognosis. It helps with chance of recovery. Even if the person has the world to support them, the fact that their family are somehow not there for them, it still affects them, you know, and all that. Because family is irreplaceable, right? And family is one. The person cannot go and have a family else. So even if he starts somewhere else, but that is not, still not his family. So support is cannot really be overemphasized in this manner. And all yeah. that. That's just what i have to say yes yeah thank you very much i asked the previous question about um some of the resources um clinical resources that parents that are thinking about therapy or parents who can actually afford therapy um turn to um i asked that question because of um the program you guys are actually putting on very very soon so i would like for you to actually um maybe talk about the program the benefits of it and what can actually happen, the positive things that can actually happen as a result of parents attending that program. And maybe that's that that's a good head start for them. Okay, so Augustina, do you want to go first? Okay, um, I think the most recurring thing in everything that we've said so far is um, that in therapy, we're not necessarily searching for a solution, we're actually just searching for quality quality livelihood. It is very important that you know parents come with this kind of mindset when when trying to when participating in the program that is gear therapy because we don't want you to feel like there is something wrong with your child before you can bring your child for therapy. So gear therapy is basically just a three days um, therapy session with experienced and expert psychologists like Naj. Um, the idea is to orient parents on the importance that is therapy, as well as to give them a give them a give them a snippet of what this could be like if they continue to hop on it. And you know, you had mentioned something about if there was going to be privacy. This is one of the reasons why we thought to make it virtual. Of course, there was a conversation about trying to reach as much people without limiting it to proximity of a particular state. But then the idea behind making it virtual was so that in a way, the parents do not necessarily have to sit there with the child and listen. However, the parents can be listening from her own end. So you are giving um, your child the, the uh, ability to be able to pay attention and talk to the parent. Now, depending on the best ways, right, Nad will be the better place to um, decide what works best depending on the kid, right? If if it is important that there is complete privacy, depending on how the session starts, then we can ask that the parents just hold off. And after the uh, after the session with the kids, then the parent comes in and then the therapist continues with the parents. So at the end of the day, as Nat said, it is just depending on the on the on whatever a parent or a child is presenting, that would determine the best way to address, you know, how best to tackle the conversation with a particular child or parents. So the therapy is a three-day session. It is going to be virtual. It is going to be at the comfort of your home. 
And, you know, we do hope that you come with an open mindset and see the benefit that therapy is for a child. So, yes, thank you. Naj, you can go on. Yes. Okay, so <clears throat> thank you very much, Augustina. So I didn't want to, Augustina, before then, honestly, I believe that what KSH Foundation and their therapy are doing is is very, very, something very remarkable because come on, where do you get free therapy program for parents and for children as well? I see it as an opportunity for people to see this program as a learning event. Therapy in Nigeria, I think therapy everywhere, literally, some places may not be so affordable. So here you're getting a program that is free of charge and is also for your own benefit. So I believe that I want to I want to also encourage people to really register as fast as they can. I don't know if they're limited seats, even though it's a virtual program, but don't just let this you know um, time pass you. So for the parents, of course, we're going to have two sessions, one with the parents and one with the children, right? So with the parents, mostly it's going to be, you know, we're going to talk about <clears throat> mental health and your child, the child's mental health, things that can affect your child's mental health, early signs and how you can also, you know, care for your child in like in respect to their mental health and also not neglecting you as a person because don't forget you cannot give what you do not have right you cannot you will not be able to love your child the way you should love him if you don't even love yourself to even begin with you may not be able to you know raise your child well if you yourself you don't have the mental capacity to take care of yourself or to manage your stress well as well so we're going to talk we're going to psychoeducate we're going to have a psychoeducation session with the parents we're also going to teach the parents some self-help techniques to deal with their own personal you know, mental health distresses so that you'll be able to become strong foundations for their children. And for the children mostly, we may not want to find out, we may not want to categorize the children based on who has a mental health issue or who does not. I do not really think we would want to, you know, conduct assessment, but what we're going to do for the children basically is to improve, is to promote wellness and well-being, to, you know, look at different dimensions of a child's wellness from their physical health to their emotional health, to their social health, to their intellectual health, even to their spiritual health. You know, even, even children can have spiritual health. I usually say that when it comes to spiritual wellness, it doesn't just only mean praying to God and being close to God. It also has to do with other positive virtues like how to feel happiness, how to, you know, how to forgive, how to practice gratitude. Even children can practice gratitude, how to be altruistic, how to help other people more because these things are things that also improve the child's mental health. So for the children, basically, it's going to be a wellness and well-being event for them to promote their well-being, to leave them with tips, with relaxation techniques, with you know, techniques to also be able to solve some of their own concerns on their own. So um, that's basically about it. Okay. Um, I'm very, very glad that this wonderful and amazing opportunity is available to the general public. And I'm very, very sure that it's going to be of tremendous benefits to people who are going to attend. And saying that, I, I actually am encouraging people to attend and not miss this wonderful opportunity. If not for nothing, but just go attend the event with an open mindset and see um if it's something for you even if you even think you don't even need it per se so and even if your your child is going through therapy or you're still going through therapy um no knowledge is wasted it's still an additional um, source of information to you and to your yes, child's yeah. life and so um i would just really like to encourage everyone to actually go sign up for that program and participate so um with saying that augustina um how can people actually sign up for this program 
Okay, there is a registration link available. Um, it is up on our Instagram um, accounts, KSH Foundation. There's a link to register for jet therapy. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's literally as simple as that. All you need to do is register. As a parent, you mentioned the number of kids you're bringing on board, their age. And if you are registering for yourself, which I don't advise for you, then you know how young ones that are already hitting 15 are already starting to feel like adults. We just um, advise that you drop a parent's number or some or a, a contact that we can reach them with to let them know that this is something that you would like to be a part of. But yes, it's really as simple as following us on Instagram and you can find the link up there. Okay, thank you very much, guys. I really, really had a great time having this conversation. And my hope is that people um, find some useful and practical tips um, from this conversation and it will actually change the overview of um, of people's perception and perspective towards therapy as a whole and especially child therapy so um is there anything else you guys would like to leave us with as a roundup Naj, augustina any final words or final thoughts mm -hmm, i guess we just want to see you there <laughs> it's really simple yeah thank you <laughs> yes for me i'll just say that please prioritize your mental health, to be honest, because mental health is everything. If your mental health, if you're not really in a good mental health, it basically affects all domains of your, of your health. It affects your social occupational functioning. And before you know it, you lose yourself. You know, you're lost. Mm -hmm. And you're just literally living on autopilot mode. And I'll just literally mm -hmm. just say again, just prioritize your health and live well, because you only live once, right? So that's just what I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you very yeah. much, Naj. And um, Naj, yeah. Before we actually close this, um, um, where can people actually find you and contact you, just in case they are in need of your services or they want to have a one-on-one -on -one consultation with you for them to better um, understand some of these topics we've talked about here today? So, how can people actually reach you through, I don't know, social media or anything? Just maybe say that. Okay. Yes. Of course. So, um, my on my social media my mental health awareness page is union healing union underscore healing u-n-i-o-n underscore then healing h-e-a-l-i-n-g i actually i actually also named my union my my um you know mental health campaign page union healing because i feel that healing is not just about one person if i ensure that i heal then i would also it's also a way that it's also something that of course i'll be more kinder to myself to my colleagues to my parents and to my children so it's about healing as a union right yeah so that's okay. about that's the idea okay and what about your email if they can actually okay. yes my email is union healing nig nigeria union healing nigeria at gmail.com okay and augustina yeah. um people can actually sign up from um um ks ksh foundation foundation yes ksh underscore foundation or you can just send an email to admin at kaleohavidio.com and oh. we will respond to you asap okay nice i would actually link some of those um, resources and contacts to this episode so people can actually use that um thank you very much guys i really had a great time here i had a blast and hopefully we can do this sometime in the future so um okay. we thank can do you yeah so thank you so much yeah, yeah thank you so much everyone yeah Have do take nice care of yourself day. and enjoy okay. the rest of your day all right mm -hmm. thank you very much for listening to this conversation 
To support this podcast, please like, share, leave a comment or review and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Piers underscore Arena. Thank you once more.